This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made you five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents come forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also then received the one talent, came forward, and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. At my coming, I should have received then my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast this worthless servant into outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me, please. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to be seated. A philosopher once said, you miss 100% of the shots you do not take. Think on that. I know this church isn't necessarily known for its hockey fandom, uh, but I told a Canadian I saw this week that I would insert an NHL reference, uh, so hear me out. Uh, at the end of Wayne Gretzky's illustrious career. It's a 20-year professional career, which ended in 1999. He had 61 NHL records, including a handful that were truly staggering. A single season uh, record of 92 goals, 163 assists, which is a total of 215 points, get this, in just 80 games. He had 894 career goals, uh, 2,857 career points. Now, I know you guys, again, aren't necessarily hockey fans, but this is a big deal. The all-time leader in goals was once asked by a reporter about the fact that he attempted the most shots in every single season he played. 894 goals 
made out of 5,088 shots. And so we get this quote as a response. You miss 100% of the shots you do not take. Now, if you're doing the math, that's a 17.6% success rate. It's not good, but this is the greatest goal scorer of all time. Here's another quote for you. Once upon a time in Paris, a former president of the United States gave an impassioned speech to a crowd of 25,000 people. Here, Teddy Roosevelt once said this, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. No, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows at the end triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Daring greatly, his place shall not be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. The gospel reading this morning is a fun one. It's from Matthew, and it's from a group of chapters that that happened towards the end of Matthew. Uh, chapters 19 through 26, you, you see some changes going on that Jesus is really trying to prepare the people for changes in the kingdom of God. And because of that, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of answers. And there are a lot of parables that come into play. Uh, you see, Jesus is ushering in and, and he's bringing something new. And it's a new way of being human. It's a new way of living life in the kingdom of God. It's a new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. And so sometimes he tells these parables to illustrate, to to open up. We saw a parable last night, we'll see, or last week, we'll see a parable today, we'll see a parable next week, where Jesus is really opening up, this is what's going on in the kingdom, this is what's going on in the world. As a matter of fact, he starts this one pointing to how it started the last time. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. The parable here is located uh, in what's been called eschatological discourse from chapter 24 all the way to chapter 26. This is where he instructs his disciples to endure through difficult times, to live in anticipation of the Lord's coming again because the Lord will indeed come again. Now, like all the parables in this section, it, it points to that certainty. Jesus is coming. And what it also does is it points to how the disciples are supposed to live in the meantime. Uh, so this week it starts there. This week though we're going to go. Instead of like last week with wedding traditions. We're going into the world of money and finance. Now no this is not a stewardship sermon per se. But it's not not one. <laughs> so let's dive in. In this parable, we meet a wealthy master going on a trip and three of his servants or bond servants or slaves to be more precise. The master, he is wealthy and he's giving out talents as he goes away. 
Now, a talent during this time is, is a sum of money, by the way. It's how they measured money. It was approximately 75 pounds worth of silver or gold, which is the average size of an 11-year-old boy, if you're looking for a reference point, just in case. Uh, so a talent during this time was a large sum of money. It was the equivalent of what was about 20 years' wages. So let's pause here. And live in this reality for a moment. The bigness of what the, the master entrusted to his servants. This is a lifetime worth of money. Each servant was given a heaping generous amount of money. That would have taken them most of, if not all of their life, to be able to attain for themselves. The master gives it to them. They were stewards of this lifetime worth of wealth. To again, remember, to which they would never be able to earn for themselves and stake for themselves in the front end. You see what's going on here. The master entrusted much to these servants, to these slaves. This would have been shocking for everyone who's hearing this parable. That's a lot of money, Jesus. Now, don't miss that. And by the way, these weren't just random disconnected people in the story. These were his servants. Those who knew the master's business, right? You see that in the third servant's response. They know what the master was about. They know the master's business. They were his servants. And so the master expected his servants to continue his business, to take the risks of making a profit, to emulate his behavior. Two servants here were found faithful, and they were rewarded. Their faithfulness had increased the master's wealth and expanded his estate or expanded his kingdom, if you will. One was afraid, complacent, and hid the master's wealth and was found unfaithful. Now, some of us might get stuck on this next point, but it might be worth a little bit of time. Comparison and coveting. The master was generous for sure. Yeah, but, but why did that one servant get one more than me? Oh, why did that one servant give four more than me? Verse 15 says, the master gave these talents according to each servant's own ability. Now, let's be real here. This is both understandable and offensive, right? I mean, we get it. Some of you are very savvy with money. Some are fine with it. I mean, we get it. Some can turn a dime into a quarter but some can turn a dollar into a Tesla. Uh, the offensive piece, though, it comes into play. It comes into play with the fact that we are tender here and we covet the other. I don't want us to get bogged down by this piece, but it is worth at least noting. Some here could handle more, some less. This is reality. We know this. And, but, but still, <laughs> I wish... Our, our flesh wants more. We covet the other, the other's gifts, the other's talents, the other's money. We covet. This is not a holy covet, though. Our master gives us according to our ability. Now, let's not pretend this is easy to hear. But I know many of you that are more talented than myself. And I could, like Peter, in John 21, ask the master, well, but, but what about him? Why him? And Jesus' reply is, what is that to you? 
What I'm saying to you is follow me. What I'm saying to you is trust me. Trust in what I'm giving you today. Trust in what I'm giving you in your lifetime to steward. You are different. We are different. Each different. And God knows what he is doing. The master knows what he is doing. So let's not get stuck on this spot. Let's not miss the point. Let's anchor in reality. The generous master entrusted his servants with a generous and abundant sum of money. Yes, it was according to their ability, but it was crazy generous, full stop. It was a lifetime worth of money, a lifetime worth of treasure. The master was going away. The master, though, was sure to come back. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do as we wait? What did they do as they wait? The listener will be asking this question. What does faithfulness look like for these servants in a time of waiting? What do they do? What is the faithful servant to do as they wait? Because that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, The response from the master uh, when the first two servants came back, he said, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful. There's the word. You've been faithful. Come and share in my joy. What a great thing to hear. Come and share my joy. You've been faithful. You did it. Uh, What does it mean to be faithful in this parable? We definitely know what it doesn't mean. We know what not to do, right? The third one rolls up in the story, probably covered in dirt from hiding the talent like some kind of luau pig in in the ground. He was so scared of screwing up that he just went and hid it. He put it in the ground, 75 pounds worth of gold or silver. I'm just gonna hide this because I'm nervous. And the master, he said, I was afraid, so I hid it. Here it is back, all 75 pounds worth of it. Aren't you proud of me? What was the master's response? You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received at least my interest that was due me. You wicked and lazy servant. That is what unfaithfulness looks like. Take away his talent and throw him out. The kingdom of heaven will be like this. A hard teaching. A hard teaching. Now, this is not a parable just about Money. It is about money, but it's not just about money. It's not about capitalism. It's not about the open market. And it's not about finding the right wealth managers so they can double your funds. Jesus utilizes this, though, as a connection point. For everyone who could come into contact with it. He talked about the bridegrooms last week. He talks about money uh, this week and talents this week. And he's driving home this reality. He's driving home a point. And this is the point. The master will come back. Praise God. The master will come back. What does it look like to be a faithful servant while we wait for the master's return? What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to serve the master here? What do you have? How might you behave? What does faithfulness look like? 
Again, this whole section is leading up to the passion of Christ. He knows what is on uh, the docket, right? It was Jesus expounding on this upside-down kingdom. He's trying to prepare his disciples. He's correcting assumptions of the religious. He's calling out complacency. He's calling out the corruption, and he's preparing. He's teaching, and he's building into this parable. What you see in this parable is this built-in expectation. The faithful servants would continue the work of their master, the faithful servants would continue the work of their master. Now, what was the work of Jesus while he was here? The proclamation of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. While the master is away, while the bridegroom is away, the servants had a work to do. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, in Matthew's gospel, faithfulness is emulating the ministry of Jesus. Faithfulness. To do what Jesus did, to be what Jesus was about, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to smell like Jesus. Jesus who called out God's arrival in the coming kingdom, who fed the hungry, he cured the sick, he freed the captives, he blessed the meek, he served the least. And all who would follow Jesus were to preach this same good news, that the kingdom of God was at hand for the entire world, that there was a new kingdom that was coming, and there was a work that our master was calling us to do. Think Paul here in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but all the more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill your, his, his good purpose. Same idea, same energy. But hold up. It sounds like work righteousness, doesn't it, Dan? Does it, though? Are we working for our salvation or working out our salvation? Now be careful here. Let's parse that here. We proclaim Christ crucified. We proclaim Christ's resurrection. We look to the cross. We look to the resurrection to do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. That's not what I'm saying here. At no point do I look to my own works to justify myself and my own salvation. It is only because of what Christ has done. We look and we point to the cross always. That is our starting spot. It is by grace that we have been saved, by grace that we have received such a generous gift from our master. You see what I did there? We serve a generous master who has given us this gift that we would never be able to earn in a lifetime on our own, a gift that we aren't worthy to carry, much less live in the freedom of. God, though, in his generosity and in his grace, he looks upon us. He calls us his beloved. He calls us his sons and daughters. We heard it from this morning. He called us children of light, and he has entrusted with us abundant life. The master goes away, but he's going to come again. So what is our work here in this sense? What are we to do? It's not to earn our salvation, but to delight in it. It is the joy of the gift that you can't help but share. It's the value on that thing worth telling all your friends about, worth sacrificing for, worth working for. It is the work of the kingdom. And according to this parable, it is each servant's role to play. 
the great 19th century thinker, Soren Kierkegaard, an actual philosopher this time, he once said, the difference between an admirer, let's start that one over, the difference between an admirer and a follower still remains. No matter where you are, the admirer never makes any sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words, phrases, songs, he's inexhaustible about how highly he praises Christ, he renounces nothing. He gives up nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not be about what he admires. No, he will not let his life express what it is he supposedly admires. He plays it safe, like the one servant. He becomes one of those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. He hides the talent in the ground for fear, fear of screwing up. Gretzky screwed up over 80% of the time, folks, for fear of what people will think. Roosevelt said, you're worrying about the people who aren't even in the arena and worth your time and worth your thoughts. For fear of the commitment, some things are worth everything. Our time, our energy, our interest, our cultivation, our sacrifice. We're talking about the treasure in the field that's worth everything, that we want to go sell everything for and go get. It is that treasure we've been looking for, our longing for, thirsting for. There is a work to do. To be about the master's business. Uh, my friends, there's a work to do in this church in the neighborhoods that we belong to there's a work to do in this community there's a work to do in this world yeah but I'm not as good as stop stop whatever excuse you would throw in that next line Jesus reply is what is that to you what I'm saying to you is follow me what I'm saying to you is trust me. What I'm saying to you is trust in what I'm giving you today and trust in the lifetime that you are to steward. God equips those he called and he has entrusted his followers, his children of light with the work to do. But how can I do that in this season? This season is so crazy. Now that's a fun conversation to have. And it's worth the time to dream and think outside the box. What we see in this parable though, the excuses don't really play. Now let's get practical. Let's land the plane. You, if you are in Christ, you possess eternity in your heart. You possess freedom. You possess peace, joy, love, and more. You are children of light. That's what it said. His beloved, his sons and daughters, it's who you are. You have been entrusted with generosity and grace. You've been entrusted with much. So what is the work God has entrusted you to be about? And in light of this parable, what stirs within you? I like how Frederick Buechner puts it. He says, the place where God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. We long to be a city on a hill. We long, long to be a light to this community. We long to be a church that knows Jesus and makes Jesus known. A church with followers, not admirers. To be Christ-filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God has placed in each of us a deep gladness and a deep energy, a great joy and a great delight. And where that meets the needs of this world, where that meets the needs of this city, where that meets the needs of this community, where that meets the needs of this church, there is a work to do. 
does the cultivation of and the teaching of children make you come alive? Then jump in. Invest in children's ministry. Find Grace. Find Jenny after this. Do it today. There's a work to do. Do you love middle and high school children? Do you long for them to know Christ, to come alive to who God has made them to be as they grow and as they mature in this earthquake in this season? Yeah, but they're scary. Yeah, (laughs) they are. Go find Lauren. There's a work to do. Do you have a heart for the sick and the shut-ins and the hospitalized? Do you have a heart? Then contact David. Contact uh, David and Beth and friends of Christ. Contact Libby in Simple Suppers. There's a work to do. Is your heart stirred by missions? Is your heart stirred by mercy ministries in this city? Then let's get you plugged in. There's so many great organizations to be, a, to be a part of. Rebuild Upstate, Serenity Place, Need to Nourish. If you have a heart for teen moms, young lives. If you have a heart for lost teenagers, young life. If you have a heart for the care and rehabilitation of abused and addicted women, we're talking Tomasi, T-D-A-R. I could go on and on for hours, and I would like to, I promise you, because there is a work to do. This is no small thing. We have a city to love. We have a world to move into and be a light to. Dare greatly. Spending yourself on a worthy cause. The God of the universe has called his people to be about our master's work. Jesus tells this parable, promising his return. He will come again. And we have been entrusted with the greatest treasure known in the world. A gift. The gift that God has given us. And there's a work to do, a field to sow, a culture and community to cultivate. And may the words found, may the words that we hear the grace of God, may they ring in our ears one day as we learn how to walk in faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my joy. How we long to hear that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, you stir in us when you Speak your words to our souls, to our hearts, your words that teach us, your words that correct us, that rebuke us, your words that move us, that stir us. God, may we be faithful. May we say yes. May we trust you. God, you long to mobilize your people to be about your work. We pray every week that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God, may you... May you equip and empower your people. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.